Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel. Chapter 9, really can't express how glad we are to be back with you after that month of being gone. Uh, the, the theme of sabbatical was uh, ended up being the mountains, so we in, ended up spending a couple weeks down in Gatlinburg and then uh, took a trip out west to the Grand Tetons and so... Uh, saw a lot of God's majesty and glory in, in all of that and did lots of hiking. So uh, I'll have a few pictures to show you and, and some, some stuff to tell you about. I didn't have any like aha moments with God, but just this constant experience of His presence and worshiping Him um, all throughout that month. And so if you don't have anything going on August 19th at 6 p.m. right here, we're going to have an ice cream social. You don't have to bring anything, just come and I'll have a few pictures to show you and tell you a little bit more about going deeper and getting stronger in in July. Now, I, I realize that not many pastors get a sabbatical. It's kind of something that people go, what is that, you know? And um, So I, I can't tell you, Lori and I, uh, we are so grateful that we uh, were able to experience it, had the opportunity to, to do that. And I need to, I need to shout out a, a couple of people. Uh, special thanks to Lance and Jennifer Matson. Um, and to Mike and Suzanne Dickey for the investment they made in our family. We couldn't have done what we did without them. And I am praying and believing God's going to bring a harvest in your life for what you've sown in ours. So bless you guys um, a lot. So I, I, I was on a lot of different kinds of paths in July. A lot, of, a lot of different, a uh, lot of different places that we that we went, and as a turn back, as we turn back on the God Strong series here, and I started looking at Daniel chapter nine verses one to nineteen, I saw another path. Right here, there's some twists and turns and peaks and valleys along this way. This is a this is a difficult path to to walk, but believers need to walk down it again and again. It's a path to God Strong praying. So let's pray first before we dive into it. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we do want to rejoice in this word that you have given us. It's just a treasure in our lives, a place we run to, to hear your voice and to receive encouragement and correction, a place that we go to to grow in you. And we pray, Lord, this morning that all of those things would happen as we dive into these verses. We thank you for um, this and we thank you for the freedom we have to gather and to, to feast on, on your word. I pray the, me- the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, 
we pray. Amen. So remember, at the beginning of the book of Daniel, it started off as stories about Daniel and his friends who were taken captive, prisoners of war, from the kingdom of Babylon. And so those stories were teaching us about how to be God-strong, how to live God-strong in a world where everybody else is going the opposite direction. And so we got encouragement, encouragement to be faithful to God in our worship, to trust in His strength instead of our own, and to believe that God is sovereign, sovereign over history. And the way that this is telling us is that God told Daniel what was going to happen, and it happened. And because God told Daniel that it, hap- that it was going to happen, and it happened, it's telling us He's sovereign over that. And there's other things that He's telling us that hasn't happened yet, that's going to happen. And so we want to prepare Prepare for those things to happen. Now, we're in the portion of the book now that gets difficult to read, difficult to understand, difficult to apply to our lives. It's apocalyptic prophecy. Uh, And Daniel 9, as I read this week, may be the most important chapter in the whole Bible when it comes to understanding what God has told us is going to happen when it all comes down. So, pray for me. You know, as we dive into this. Uh, but this week is, is, is it, it really, God just gave me a softball, you know, as I come back from sabbatical. You know, this is about prayer. You know, this is 19 verses about prayer, and then we get into some crazy stuff, right? But, uh, so here we are, and Daniel is going to lead us down this path. It's a path for believers and unbelievers. And the first thing that he encounters is a twist of grief. So this is verses 1 to 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of... Ah- I never can say it right. Mr. A. Um, By descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So the chapter, it begins there with this marker for our timeline to kind of know when this is going to happen. And we can't be like super, like this is when it happens. You know, it can't get too exact because of the way the ancients track time and stuff. But we can know from our Bible and from some sources outside the Bible that the first year of King Darius' reign was 538 B.C. And so, to put that in perspective in the book of Daniel, that's 67 years from chapter 1. Daniel was taken captive 67 years before he got into this prayer. 48 years after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. And so that's important. Now remember chapter 8, he had just had this vision that laid him up for a couple of days. You know, he saw the suffering of his people. He saw how they were going to be treated by these other nations. And he saw that there was an end to it. And so that laid him up. And he was, he, he was overcome with sickness because of grief and empathy for what was going to happen. Now, once he's feeling better here in chapter 9, what does he do? He runs to God's Word. He goes to reading and studying the prophet Jeremiah. Now, he didn't have everything that we have in our Bible, but what he did have brought a twist of grief to his heart. 
He was looking in the book of Jeremiah and he was looking for how long this was going to last. He was just told that this, this uh, suffering of his people was going to have an end to it. God, how long is it going to go on? And he goes into Jeremiah and he reads 70 years. That's from Jeremiah 25, verses 8 to 12. Listen to this. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So Daniel has been living in that prophecy. He's been living it out. He's been seeing it, seeing it happen. And he went to the book. He went to Jeremiah to find out when it might be over. He got the answer, 70 years. And then he does a little math. He's like, you know, if I've been here 67 years, that means three year, in three years God's going to show up and he's going to start making things right. Well, that's good news and that's bad news. The good news is it's almost here. The bad news is it's not here yet. And so he has this grief rise up inside of him. He's in agony. He's in agony over the condition of his people. He turns his face to God in prayer and he cries out to him for mercy. He's fasting for God's attention, saying, I'd rather have you than food. This is how important this is to me, God. you got to see this. Pay attention here. And then he starts throwing ashes and puts on burlap-like clothing. You know, he wants, he's giving a visible expression on the outside of himself as to what kind of things that are going on on the inside of himself. He's grieving. Now, that kind of grief in the Bible we call godly sorrow. And we read about it in a couple other different places in the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 1 is a place that godly sorrow shows up. As Nehemiah hears about the condition of his of the city of Jerusalem with the walls broken down, he hears about that and he goes to fasting and praying because he has this godly sorrow come over him. We hear about it in Romans chapter 9 at the very beginning of it. Paul says he is in anguish there. And he wishes he could be cut off from Christ if it meant his brothers could come brothers in Israel would come and believe in him. It's godly sorrow. We feel it when you read uh, Psalm 51. You know, and, and that beautiful confession of David saying, here's my sin, it was on me. And then pleading, God, please don't take your spirit from me. Please don't leave me. That's all godly sorrow. Now, it's not something that you can muster up. Uh, you can't, you know, just come to the altar and feel this. It has to be given to you by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to do, to do that over our lives. You can, however, spark it to come. And that's by doing what Daniel did. Running to God's Word. Diving in. Reading. Studying. Soaking it up. See, anytime you're in God's Word and you read something that pricks your heart about the condition of your life or your marriage, or your family, or your school, or your job, your church, your community, your world, your God's kingdom, whatever it might be, you get a 
prick in your heart because you see things from the way God is seeing them and it's not that way and that hurts. It brings pain. Sometimes we just call it conviction, you know, that feeling of conviction. This is the, the taste of godly sorrow. But this grief, it, it's, like, it's like when someone we know passes away. Um, and, you know, when that person isn't very close to us in, in, our, in our life, you know, we, we can feel the pain of losing someone, but it's not that great. Um, but if it's our other half, that passes away, you know, that grief we feel down in our bones. A heaviness, right, on our chest, in our body. That's the kind of grief we're talking about. But somebody doesn't have to die to feel that kind of grief. The Holy Spirit can bring it on you. See, when we're following Jesus, the most important relationship we have is our relationship with Him. Isn't it? I mean, I want what He wants. I want Him to smile because I woke up today and lived it. I want Him to be pleased with my work and my worship and my loving and my living. All of that. He's the most important person in my life. And when He shows me something from His Word that is my life is not the way He wants it to be, it's a twist in my heart. A twist of grief when I see things from His perspective. Now, it doesn't sound very good, does it? Welcome back, Pastor Greg. How, how is this part of God's strong praying? Why is it important? Well, the twist in your heart is a catalyst. It's a catalyst to do what Daniel did, to turn to God, to turn your face to God. And any time your prayers are going up to God, out of a broken heart over your sin or something He showed you, or the conditions in your life, the mess, they're, they're God-strong. You're being initiated by Him. And your fervency goes up when you're feeling godly sorrow over things in your life. And you're pleading with God. He becomes your only focus. He is your only hope. He is your only want. He needs to show up or your life is over. That's the kind of thing we're feeling. That's what this does. Have you ever been there? I don't know that it's too common. You know, the, the depths that Daniel is, is experiencing it. But the conviction is, you know, the little twists of grief all along. I believe that's what Daniel's experiencing as he looks at the state of God's people and he hears it's going on, it's going to continue for three more years. And then he takes another step. The path that God's strong praying takes a turn here in verses 4 to 15. It's the turn of confession. So Daniel, he begins his prayer to God as he turns his face to God. He's fasting, he's got you know, burlap on, uh, ashes, and he begins to make a good confession to God. Now a good confession is all about speaking truth back to God. So it's the truth about what you know to be true of Him and what you know to be true of you. The truth about what He has done and the truth about what you have done. The truth about what He deserves and the truth about what you deserve. All of those things are wrapped up in a good confession. And we can read them, you can hear them in Daniel's confession here. Starting in verse 4, we're going to read through verse 10 break this up in a couple of sections. <clears throat> I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession saying, O Lord... The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep 
his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So he's praying here. He's speaking truth back to God. Oh Lord, great and awesome God. That's how he addresses him. The one who keeps his promises with those who love him and follow him. And then he says, we haven't done that. We haven't followed your word. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled against you. We haven't listened to you. We haven't listened to the people that you sent to correct us, the prophets. And all of us are, are at fault, you know, from our, from our leaders all the way down to the lowest citizen. We're all, we're all to blame. And this is even now, to this day, we've, we've been disloyal to you. Um, our leaders, all the people near and people who are far away, the places you sent them, God, they're all guilty. This is what we deserve because we are wrong and you are right. Not only that you're right, But also, you're good. To you belong mercy and forgiveness. And to us, open shame. You are the one who is merciful and forgiving, God. And we have taken that for granted and we've not followed your way. And we're the prophets. We're the ones responsible for the mess that we are in today. Now, not everybody prays that way. Daniel is turning things in his confession. I mean, instead of saying, God, how in the world could you do this to your people? You love them. These are your people called by your name and you scattered us. Nothing's ever been done like this before in the history of the world to a nation. This is not what he says. He says, God, you are right and merciful and forgiving. And we are in this mess because of what we have done. We take a turn in confession. We say, this mess is my mess. We take responsibility for the conditions in our lives. So it's kind of like this. This financial mess that I'm in isn't because God isn't providing for me adequately. It's because I haven't been a good steward of the things that He has provided. This marriage mess that I'm in isn't because God gave me an unlovable spouse. It is because I'm not loving my spouse the way Christ called us to love. This job mess that I'm in isn't because God isn't just taking care of me and protecting me at work. It's because I'm not doing my job as I'm working for Him instead of these people I'm working for. You see, this mess is my mess. It's rare today to hear that. It's rare. Now, I realize sometimes we can attribute our mess to a fallen world that we live in. Absolutely. And sometimes we can attribute our mess to some fallen people. 
in our lives. But you know what? When you look at Daniel, and you look at uh, his life, from what we know about his life, he was a pretty rockin' believer. I mean, the, the things that he did, the things, the way he stood up, even as a youth, remember? He didn't want to take the king's menu. And he found a way to honor God in that, as an exile. And all the people were coming to that, you know, that statue to worship, and Daniel doesn't do it, and he prays in front of the window, and he gets, you know, whoa, this guy's amazing, faithful. And how's he praying? He's saying, we have done wrong. He is owning the mess. He is one of God's people. He's not saying, oh God, your people, you know, and he's separate. No, he's part of it. He's saying, this mess is my mess. So rare. And so I think when you look at, you know, the messes in your life, you can always find some place where you can, you can take responsibility for your part in whatever it is. You know? And when you do that, some God's strong praying is going to happen because it's going to own it back up to God. Daniel keeps turning in these verses, verses 11 to 15. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon upon us, because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us, and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So in in that part of the confession, Daniel is seeing the why the mess is there. Okay, he's, why God would destroy his holy city and disperse his people into foreign lands as exiles. It's what they agreed to. <laughs> it's what they agreed to. See, God made a covenant with his people back in Moses' day. And the covenant was very simply, if you obey, I will bless you. If you don't obey, I will curse you. And then they had a big ceremony and they ratified the covenant and the people all said, yes, we will do this. So this is what they agreed to. And you can read about the blessings and the curses of, the, of this Mosaic covenant in Deuteronomy 28, if you're interested. So the people, they didn't keep up their end of the bargain. They didn't keep up their end of the covenant. So what the, what's the Lord do? He does what, the only thing He can do. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his word. And he brought the curses of the covenant down on his people. But you know what? He only did that after he sent people time and again to say, Israel, turn around. We call them prophets. And they didn't listen to him. And they killed him. So he sent them time and time again. So God destroyed them. And Daniel is rightly taking responsibility for it. Because they, as God's people, didn't follow him. 
So, that was then. This is now. This is now. And we are relating to God not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. We've got a new covenant with God, a different way to relate to Him. And it's not based on our obedience at all. It's not based on our ability to keep God's law. In fact, it's based on grace, precisely because we don't have the ability to keep God's law. And this is where we see the love and the mercy and the goodness of God show up in this grand plan. God had a plan. He had a way for us to be able to be with Him. He made a way for us, people who couldn't do it. Now, this plan was a person, a very special person, God's only son. His name is Jesus. And He was sent And he lived this sinless life, the life that we could not live. And even though he lived that life, he went went to a cross. And on the cross, all the curses and all the punishment of our sins was laid on him. It was all laid on him. He took it all. And through his life, death, and resurrection, there's a new way to know God. There's a new way to come to him. There's a new relationship to have with him. As a heavenly father and a child. There's a new way to follow him. In the strength of his spirit. That he puts within us. When we believe. So he's given us all of these things. Through Jesus Christ. And it's done. It's complete. Jesus went and he sat down at the right hand of God. When he was done. Because he's done. It's it's completed. It is finished. Remember? Well if it's done. And it's all based on God's work. Why do I need to keep coming back to God and confessing my sin? If it's all forgiven, past, present, and future, I mean, what's up with that? Why is it necessary? Because you cannot have a God-strong relationship with God unless you will get honest with God. And if we don't go back to Him and tell Him that we've not done what He wants us to do, or that we're not living the way He wants us to live, that we can only do one thing when that happens, and that's we, we do what Adam did. We run and hide. We run and hide in the garden. And God comes looking for us, calling out, Where are you? Where are you? He knew where He was. He was beckoning Him back in to relationship. And so, when we're living life like that, we put masks on. Masks of self-righteousness, masks of self-justification. We can be defensive, we're critical. And it's not what God intended. 1 John 1.6 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So you can't have a real relationship with God unless you can get real with Him. It's just how it is. So we, we, we live God-strong when the gospel is not an event somewhere in our past, but it is a daily experience that we have with God. Where we come to Him when we don't measure up, and we lay it before Him and ask for forgiveness, and He pours out grace on us because of Jesus, and not because of us. Now, the thing is, this turn of confession, it, it sounds good. I mean, it's a powerful event in, in your life and a pattern in your life. 
Um, but we are, we tend to not want to go down the, this part of the path. We, we want to skip it. You know, on these trails that we went on, there's a lot of switchbacks. You know? So you're going this way, and then you turn around, and you almost go the opposite way, because you can't go straight up. But what we try to do is we try to shortcut our relationship with God, and we try to go straight up the hill. I'm telling you, it's impossible. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so... We rely on the gospel every single day because fear keeps us from going down this, this uh, path where we take the turn of confession. Fear of what God might do to us if we say, hey, I did this. And shame keeps us from going down this path. Shame that I, I did it again. I didn't measure up again. And shame comes. And guilt comes. Guilt that I nailed Jesus to the cross again. I know what He did for me. It's amazing. In love, I realize that I've received it. I'm trying to follow Him and I did it again. Guilt. And all of those things keep us from getting honest with God. But when we make the turn, when we confess and get honest with God, telling Him the truth, we drink in the grace of God. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So His love, God's love, will never kick you out. God's love will never leave you. It is everlasting. It is deeper and higher and wider than we can imagine. You know, Paul prayed that, that we could understand how wide and how deep and how high is the love of God for us. We need God's help to understand that. So when we take this turn in our life, turning to God in prayer, turning our mess from somebody else's mess to our mess, and turning to Him for forgiveness, when we do that, we'll be praying God strong and we'll be living God strong. So what kind of mess do you have going on in your life today? What kind of mess is there? Can you see the truth of your circumstances? Can you see it? God hasn't changed. He's the same. He is righteous. Righteousness belongs to Him. He is good. Mercy and forgiveness belong to Him. Listen, if God has sent calamity in your life, it is not because He's punishing you. It is because He loves you. And He's disciplining you as His child. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And that's the, the way, one of the ways that He sanctifies us. That He transforms us into a new person. Someone that looks like His Son. Who loves like His Son. Lives like His Son. So the calamity that comes from Him is a sign of His love for you. In fact, the Bible says, if that calamity is there, you're an illegitimate person. You really aren't a believer. If God isn't disciplining you. So what do you need to take responsibility for today? Even if it's just a small part. You know, what could you confess back to our good and gracious God? I'm telling you, if you get honest with God, life with Him will change today. It will change for the good. And God's going to start using you to clean up the mess. So taking this turn, taking the turn of confession, it is difficult to take because it brings you low. It brings you down to the bottom, a place that we resist going. But listen, if you'll go to the valley, if you'll follow a path down into the valley, it's there that you can look up and make an appeal. 
And that's what Daniel does in verses 16 to 19. He appeals to God. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because... Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's a beautiful appeal. Now, the, the pictures that you're seeing in this PowerPoint are pictures that I took out west in the Grand Tetons. And this picture is actually one I didn't take, <laughs> but I did walk on that trail. It's called Cascade Canyon Trail. And so you're walking down this, uh, this uh, trail, this, and you're looking up, and everywhere you look is a glorious view of some, of some mountains. But the challenge is, as you can see on that path, that there's rocks and stuff. I mean, we're not talking about the asphalt path out here, you know, where you can just stroll along and look at everything. No. So the challenge is, when you're on these trails, is you've got to look down and make sure you don't stumble. But the tension is, you know that if I'm looking down, I can't look up and look around and see this incredible view that's all around me, 360. So you got this... So unless I stop and look, I'm going to miss the glory. Well, here's the thing. When you take the turn of confession on the path, stop there and look up. Look up to Jesus. Look up to Him and call out to Him for help. What does Daniel call out? He says, God, based on who you are and not on what we have done, turn your face back to your city, to your temple, to your people. He says, we are but a byword, but we should be a beacon for you. We are of no consequence in the world, but we should be more than conquerors. God, listen, turn your ear, look, see, shine your face on our desolation. Have mercy, not because we deserve it, but because you are merciful. For your reputation, for the sake of your reputation in the world, because we are called by your name. See, an appeal from the valley says, God, I've got no good reason to ask you to do this except you. You're the only reason I can ask. And it's because I believe that you are righteous and good and merciful and forgiving that I'm asking. And it's because I want your name to be honored, to be glorified in the world. And we are your people. For the sake of your good name, God, show up in this mess. So you don't want to hear anything in these verses where Daniel's kind of saying, Hey God, do something. Like, you know, he's telling God what to do. 
You don't want to hear even a hint of that. He doesn't have an entitlement. He doesn't have a thing that says, God, because I did something good today, or because I've lived this faithful life 67 years in this God-forsaken country, you owe me. This is not an owe me thing. See, the turn of confession empties us out of any kind of pride that we've got going on. It just empties us out. And so what we're reading here is a beautiful cry for mercy to a beautiful God of mercy. It is Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So God, please hear us, see us, show up, don't delay. We need you. Now that's... That's where the scripture ends for today. But the path continues on, keeps going. And it it leads its way from the valley to a peak. And it's the peak of the presence, the presence of God. See, the most incredible experience happens when you walk this path of God's strong praying. And that is when you call out to God, He answers. And we're going to see that in the rest of the chapter, bringing, He sends Gabriel. I mean, imagine you are in your prayer closet, you're calling out to God, and Gabriel shows up to tell you something. It's that that experience of knowing, knowing, without Gabriel, knowing that God has heard, that God sees what's going on in your life, and that He's going to do something. I mean, that really makes all the difference, doesn't it? He doesn't actually do anything, He just shows up to know that He knows. To know that He sees, that, that He's not left you, that you're not alone. I've just told Him, I'm a, I'm, I'm a terrible person, I can't follow you, and He's right here with me. That sends you to the peak. And you know, up on the peak, you can see a long way. You know what happens on the peak? Your faith soars. That the God who made the mountains you're looking at can move them. And your hope increases that the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it's today, still, nothing is impossible with God for him who believes. Your faith soars. Your hope soars. You know that he's with you. You know that he's heard. His presence brings peace. Peace in the middle of the mess. And you get still. And you know that he is God. Powerful to be on the peak. It is a mountaintop experience. Now, if there's a twist of grief in your heart, even just a conviction over life today, there's a turn of confession to make for you. And it's going to bring you low. But you're putting yourself at the feet of a good and gracious God. And He will answer. He will forgive. He will pour out grace on you today. And I'm telling you, that is a path for some God's strong praying. Now we're going to close the service this morning celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And you don't have to be a member of Living Streams to participate in this, but you do need to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And so if you have never believed in God's love for you before, if you have never asked Him for forgiveness for the sins in your life, Sins in your heart. You could do that today up here at the altar as we come to share in communion. Just kind of follow the steps of this path this morning. Feel the grief of your mess. And believe that Jesus Christ was sent to live the life that we couldn't live, that you couldn't live. 
And that He died on a cross to provide forgiveness for your sins. Just tell Him, I believe in you. Forgive me for not being able to follow. Come into my life and take over. I'm making a mess of it. You pray something like that, and I I promise you, God will give you a whole new start today. A whole new start. So believer, you're invited to come up here to the altar and use the front row, obviously, uh, if you can't kneel. And we invite you to do that and just spend some time in prayer. If God's leading you to take some steps on this path, please take some time to do that. Follow Him. But we're up here to remember what Jesus has done for us, that His body was broken, that His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. And that's what we are celebrating as we join together at the table. When you're ready for the elements, glance up and the elders will serve you. Let's pray. For this is what the Lord Himself has said about His table. And I have passed it on to you before, that on the night when Judas betrayed Him, the Lord Jesus took bread... And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death, that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Heavenly Father, as we come together at the table that you have prepared for us through your son Jesus, we are mindful today of your love for us. And we ask, Lord, that you might increase our faith in that love giving us the trust that we need to, to believe that no matter what we do, you're never going to leave us, you're never going to get rid of us, you're going to be with us. And help us to unload today our hearts, Lord. If we're carrying something that needs to be turned back to you in a confession, Lord, help us to do that today. Help us to call out to you, to see, to hear, to show up in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know... School started for some and starting this week for others, right? <clears throat> I want to pray for them as they go back, kids as they go back to school and teachers uh, as we close. Let's do that. Father, we just rejoice that, you know, we've been here together with you, feasting on your word and rem- remembering the great sacrifice that was made for us through your son. Um, and Lord, we pray that we can have renewed uh, vision of, of that what he's done for us to have life with you and and we believe your spirit will stir that up within us as we go out today and we want to pray for the kids that are going back into school to um some already started some uh starting this week um lord we just pray your protection over them and and that that as they go they would be lights that you would use to shine uh, to to their classmates and to their teachers. And we pray for those teachers that we know, Lord, who have that big responsibility of investing in kids and teaching them. And just pray you'd give them strength and energy and, and wisdom and encouragement as they do that this year. And we trust you'll bless them all, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.